Dennis, last week we talked about bees, and of course bees are a bit in the news, as we'll have heard, as Mm. we heard in the news at 12 o'clock. But during the week there's been information uh, coming forth uh, about bee venom. So normally we don't think of bee stings as being we nice think about things. We honey, don't we? <laughs> yes, we tend to think about honey. <laughs> honey doesn't sting us, but bee venom stings. Yeah. Uh, but we've now found out, and we've always known in some circles, that the actual sting or bee venom has some interesting therapeutic properties. For health naturally with Dennis Stewart today. We're going to take a look at bee venom. Now, you say that uh-huh. it may have good therapeutic qualities as well as the honey. So, And look, there's, there's not a lot of uh, mystery about that. If you look at the history of beekeeping, of, of honey, and also bee venom and, and pollen and royal jelly, you'll find that nearly everything associated with the bee has some history of therapeutic use or potential. Um, and listeners might be interested to know that anecdotally, anecdotally, uh, beekeepers are considered to have, if you like, uh, a better experience of longevity than the ordinary individual. Now, that might be uh, <laughs> boasting a little bit, uh, and, and certainly one has to be a little bit cautious about saying that, but in most of the literature that I read, uh, the case is made over and over again that those that keep bees and and work at them continually inevitably get stung mm-hmm. and, and they get stung by the bee venom. Now, it's been seriously put forward that that has consequences on health, quite apart from the initial sting and, yes. and, and the swelling, but the consequences are considered to have a bearing on on the immune system. So the hypothesis or the observation that beekeepers uh, have longer lives is suggested that that might have something to do with the number of times that they get stung. Now, interestingly, it might interest listeners to know that in the United States, I'm not sure whether here in Australia, but in the United States, uh, there are a group of professionals who practice bee venom. They're known as apitherapists. And they are, they are a serious group with professional skills, etc. But they essentially work on patients who present, say, with a rheumatic knee. Mm-hmm. And they will take some dear little bees out of a container, uh, whether it be a matchbox or something more flamboyant, and they would apply it uh, with tweezers onto the arthritic knee and in many cases, it would bring about, sometimes quite agonisingly, some relief from the arthritis. Now, this is a fairly serious uh, harnessing of the bee venom. And when I read this recent paper uh, pertaining to uh, bee venom and the work that was being done in Western Australia at this uh, wonderful place, the Harry Perkins Institute of Medical Research, when I read about the uh, findings that they're making pertaining to a constituent called melaton in bee venom and the way in which uh, it could uh, be useful in the management of some breast cancers, that uh, triggered me to go to my library and uh, look, and I was able to come across the book very quickly. I came across the book that I bought many, many, many years ago called The Curative Properties of Honey and Bee Venom by a chap called N. Yorish, who was a Russian. I've had so much benefit 
from the Russians with reference to beekeeping. And in that book, there's a whole chapter dealing with bee venom, not, not honey, but bee venom in the management of multiple diseases where the technique is again deliberately, deliberately subjecting uh, a, a client, a patient, call it what you like, to the sting of the bee to seek to get benefit from a various condition. Now, the thing here, of course, is there's a bit of a downside to this, that if, you are, if, you, <laughs> if you are particularly reactive to a bee and allergic to it, you would only do this under medical monitoring or with a lot of antihistamines beside you. But quite seriously, um, the, there's nothing new in seeing in the bee venom a, a remarkable potential for addressing various diseases and, in particular, muscular and skeletal conditions like various levels of arthritis and rheumatism. But again, I say, uh, this, uh, if it ever becomes mainstream therapy, or if you like apitherapists uh, develop here in Australia, uh, that would have to be uh, certainly uh, carried out uh, under a medical environment to make sure there was no reaction. Would there be a way of extracting the uh, the, the pertinent yeah, uh, compound yeah, yeah. without actually yeah. having the sting? Well, now this is very interesting because in the work that's been done by these good people in this institute in Western Australia, um, in the article or in the releases that I've got, they've actually uh, they're actually talking about isolating a substance called melatonin mm-hmm. from the bee venom, which interestingly, may also then, from what I read, um, could be developed um, synthetically outside of the actual venom. That's what I read. I don't want listeners to think that I'm an expert on on this sort of work. I read it with fascination. I'm just a simple beekeeper who makes a few simple bee products. But you asked a question, and the interesting thing here is it looks as though, from these brief papers... That, uh, that I've got off the net on the topic, that there is a, a constituent in the venom uh, called melatonin, I think it is, which is considered to be responsible for the benefit that this venom has in uh, perhaps inhibiting certain aspects of breast cancer. Now, to be fair, the, the authors, rightly so, the scientists, point out that these are findings at this stage. We have to be very, very uh, wise and respectful of the work that's being done and not jump to any absurd conclusions. Uh, Let the scientists push this thing to whatever level it needs to go. And hopefully this initial work on bee venom and perhaps the discovery of this constituent in the bee venom will lead to some development in Australia Mm. of a medication or a drug that can be used to participate in managing certain levels of breast cancer. You're listening to Health Naturally today with Dennis Stewart. We're talking about bees and it seems some of you want to as well. Brooke has joined us from Swansea. And um, Brooke, you've got a question or a comment for Dennis on bees, have you? Yes, sweetheart. Look, Hi, Dennis. Hello, how are you? Very well, thank you. Yourself? I'm very well. Well, it has to be very well in this work. Yes. Dennis, look, I, I just have seen my yard transform. I know we've been going through COVID mm. and things like that, and mm. we've had hard times, mm. but I'm seeing bees in my yard yes. since everything has slowed down for the very first time yes. in about three years. Really? And there are a lot of bees, and they're yeah. very hard-working bees. Oh, that's great. 
Where 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 are you at? What? I'm at twenty. Okay. Now, um, do you have a lot of cape weed coming into blossom in your backyard? Now, cape no, weed. No, cape I have a lot is, of lavenders. Ah, well, there you go. What I mean, any any aromatic uh, plant will always attract bees, and you may well have heard me on this program uh, seek to encourage uh, people who are gardeners or who aren't even gardeners to start to plant. Um, trees and particularly herbs for the point of view of helping address the real problem that exists now and that is with what's happened with the drought the damage to the environment um, in some areas the bees uh, are not doing well because their food is not there now fortunately in a in a uh, domestic environment or a semi-domestic environment uh, we can participate and to to an extent bees are perhaps not as threatened in an urban environment as what they might be, say, in the wilderness. For instance, um, I said to my uh, son-in-law only yesterday, and he is a professional beekeeper, I said, oh, I said I've got to go up and get some uh, hives from Dorigo to bring down and put at my other son-in-law's property up, up uh, around um, Foster. And he yeah. said, well, you need to be cautious, he said, because a lot of the uh, forest was burnt out there. And, of course, he's right. He's right, yeah. but what you're talking about is an observation that yeah. uh, a lot of the plants that we have in our gardens, and particularly the aromatics, are the natural food for the European bee. Keep in mind, keep in mind that right. bees that we know of, the honeybee, is a European bee, Apis, right. Apis mellifica, and so their 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 natural food is essentially a food from a lot of uh, European plants, particularly the aromatics, the lavenders, the rosemaries, and probably yeah. one, of, one of the best, and I encourage you seriously to, to do this and all listeners to do it, uh, start to plant lemon balm like it was going out of fashion. <laughs> because, yeah. uh, uh, in, in fact, lemon balm, Melissa officinalis, um, is, is, if you like, it names the bee, Apis, yeah. Apis mellifica, is the the name of the bee, and uh, the the plant Melissa officinalis or lemon balm is an yes. outstanding. Let me emphasise this: an outstanding plant that should be planted in every yard as a means of encouraging what you're already noticing. So yes. well, and, um, I and applaud another you. Thing, another thing is, I can move around these bees. Yes. I, I, yesterday I weeded all around the bottom. Yes. They never stung me. No. There's a lot of them. Yes. They just sort of go their own way yes. and do their own little thing. And Are they on the ground or in, in, in the air? Because presently, and the reason I asked you at the beginning of the program whether a capeweed was in your backyard, capeweed is like a little daisy, a yellow um, floret uh, daisy with a, a very dark um, head, if you like, and yeah. it, it comes out once a year and it proliferates at this time of the year, and uh, the bees just love it. And it's, yeah. it, it's on the ground, so you see a lot of the bees on the ground foraging on the yeah. capeweed. Uh, yeah. uh, but the thing about it is, if they're not having a go at you, so to speak, it, it no. means, generally speaking, they're contented. And that's, yeah. a, that's a good yeah. sign. They've got a, belly, yeah. they've got a belly full of nectar. They've got a queen in the hive that's laying well. The hive's yeah. got plenty of room, so they're happy. 
Uh, yeah. and, and that's something that I've always emphasised on this program, and you may have heard me emphasise this, that bees yeah. need to be respected, but they yes. don't necessarily need to be feared. They need no. to be respected, but not necessarily no. feared. I'm not frightened of them at all. I mean, I've got about 20 lavenders, and they're all full in bloom, and they're going crazy. Oh, wow. There's bees everywhere. Oh, wow. And, and I can go through the yard. I, I mowed the yard the other day. They just they just go about their business. They're happy to do that, and well, I love that's that. that's great. I think that's I wonderful. Well, you, you, you have... Uh, the attitude that's actually being encouraged in a lot of the literature, even being encouraged by politicians, by uh, council people to participate in ensuring that we have these creatures, that we don't uh, see them as vermin, that we get to know them, we respect them, we work with them and encourage their proliferation. And thank you so much for that comment and call. It's uh, definitely mm. worth remembering. Mm. It is. And uh, we will move on to Minmai and Ian. Ian, you've got a question for Dennis about rosacea. Is that right? Yes, I do. Hello, Ian. Good uh, Dennis. How good. are you going? I'm very well. How can I look, help I, you? Well, look, I've, I developed rosacea for the first time in my life, really. I uh, had it for about a month, um, went to my GP, who was very good. Yes. And she put me on a rose, rose X. Yes, yes. Um, and uh, which it took weeks and weeks and weeks to yes. make a difference. Yes. Of now, now it's it's not 100% gone, um, okay. but it, it's uh, okay. I, I use um, yogurt to cleanse at night. Uh-huh. And um, I, I guess I'm wondering... Is there anything else that I should consider in a natural line? Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, can you get rid of it completely? Yours, this is the first time you've had it in your life? It is. Okay. It is. Well, in my opinion, you don't have to get used to it. Um, any condition like this, from my point of view, um, is something that can be an acute episode, an episode, right. or it can be a chronic condition. I remember helping a lady from Abermain who had battled, had battled with rosacea for oh, many, 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 many years of her life. And it was a yep. very, very chronic condition. And, uh, uh, and she knew all about being a chronic sufferer of this condition. And we did well yep. with that lady. But others that I've known have uh, been well treated by their GP and the condition mm. has seemingly gone into, into remission. So right. I, I don't think you need to be too biz- dismal about it, and certainly from the point of view of what this system of medicine might have to offer to you, I have generally recommended uh, a, a couple of things which have helped a lot of people interestingly. Now, one of the, one of the things that um, I would recommend to you is the ongoing use of the herb echinacea. All right, now, okay. Echinacea is very, very good for handling chronic uh, staphylococcal infections. Uh, it works with antibiotics. It's not contradicted by the medical approach. It can be a useful appendage, but it works a little bit more subtly. It's not a conventional antibiotic. It works more immunologically at multiple levels. We really, at this stage, don't know actually how it achieves its benefit in things like pustules, boils, uh, yeah. carbuncles, abscesses. But it's a useful herb to think about using as oral medication in conjunction with what your doctor may have prescribed, Rosex, which is a standard preparation. The other, yep. her, the other herb that is used by medical herbalists and naturopaths uh, to manage 
uh, this condition or help manage uh, particularly the infection behind it is the herb golden seal. Now, both those herbs, echinacea and golden seal, are readily available from your health food store and or pharmacy. They're very safe, otherwise they wouldn't be allowed to be sold over the counter. They're very safe. They form the backbone of Western medicine and they are used to address skin conditions of an inflamed, uh, pustular nature, particularly when these conditions threaten to become chronic. So what I'd suggest you do, certainly work with your GP, uh, continue doing what she has prescribed for you, but it wouldn't hurt to take this on board. And the thing that I have found uh, most useful as a topical application, and if you have a compounding pharmacist, they could manufacture this for uh, for you, is uh, what's called the uh, a GA cream, which stands for glycoretinic acid. Now, glycoretinic acid, don't be frightened of that term, is a chemical extracted from the herb licorice. So glycoretinic acid in a powdered form, put into a zinc base, as a pharmacist could do, has provided an excellent way of helping topically manage this condition. So I would be going down that pathway at this stage, the two herbs, and see your pharmacist, your compounding pharmacist, about getting an ointment, a zinc-based aqueous cream incorporating glycoretinic acid. To NURFM, where we are talking about bees and beekeeping on health naturally and taking your calls as well. And uh, we've got another comment on bees or a question on bees, and it comes from Claudia from Valentine. Hello to you. Hello. Hello, Claudia. How are you today? I'm very well. How are you? You're not too bad. That's good. That's good. I've just got a quick question for you yes. uh, regarding what you were talking about before about yeah. the bee venom being yeah. therapeutic, etc. Yeah. Yes. I'm a bit of an animal lover. Yes. To the extreme sometimes. So I'm just curious uh, because obviously we've heard in the last, you know, few years, yes. you know, about the bee populations and yes. how essential they are yes. to our life and yes. to the planet. Yes, of course. So I have a bit of a concern, I suppose, and I am a cancer survivor, so yes. I'm not, you know, being judgmental about of um, the, the, the value of yes. um, using the venom for any therapeutic value. Yes. Yes. I'm just concerned, like any animal that's being used for treatment or mm-hmm. testing, in any way, can our bee populations, you know, be okay You're, being used yeah, in that way? Okay. Things we've been told constantly yeah. that we need to kind of encourage yeah. them to, and I have lots of flowering plants and my Good jasmine's out and they're Good loving it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm a bit con- concerned, yeah, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. You're concerned that they might become starting material uh, for the pharmaceutical industry. Correct. Okay. <laughs> Look, the, the interesting two things about this with reference to what I was saying uh, earlier today on the program. The interesting thing is that from the experimental work that has been done on bees so far, it looks as though the uh, principle in the bee venom uh, that causes the therapeutic effect uh, has been isolated and named and been seen to be something that might be capable of being uh, manufactured apart from using the bee. Um, so that's a good thing. And the other thing to realise is that the number of bees that would be used in this experimental procedure, I can assure you, I can assure you, would be very, very minuscule. It would have no significant impact 
in my opinion anyway, on the uh, on the the bee population. Now I share I share your concern about uh, animal exper- experimentation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and you're looking at an animal lover here, obviously. And I share your concern about uh, perhaps um, just seeing bees as being, if you like, starting material for the pharmaceutical industry. I think that would be pretty impo- pretty well impossible. So your sentiments, in my opinion, are in the right place. Uh, but I don't think you have too much to fear uh, as far as the bee is concerned when it's only being used in this limited way. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I have to say I did listen to your um, conversation previously and I yes. did hear you say about isolating yes. Um, yes. The, the, the material, yeah. the enzyme yeah. or yeah. whatever that's yeah. needed. Yes. And yes, and off we go in our wonderful uh, technical world that we live in or our chemical world that we can yes. then make that synthetically. Yes. So that was definitely... That was a plus. It was definitely a plus. <laughs> it's just I know historically <laughs> there's usually a little bit of something going on before that happens is what I'm saying. Well, I, th- I, I think... <laughs> I think well, agreeing with your sentiments, I, I think, however, that as a result of this exciting work on bees and honey, yeah. which has happened in uh, in recent times, the discovery of the the uh, chemistry of the manuka honey and its yeah. outstanding antibiotic principles, I think what this has done has, in fact, led to greater respect for the bee. Oh, well, that's... Fantastic, but, and and yeah. I think you'll, what you'll probably see, and I'm I'm observing it now. What you'll probably see are more and more people becoming respectful, becoming interested in having bees themselves, and standing up as defenders for the right of the bee to exist as a species on the planet. I support what you're saying. Yes, they're good concerns indeed, Claudia, mm. and uh, mm. certainly I think it's um, it's good to know that there might be some other way of getting the good yes, of therapeutic course, of stuff of without course. getting the sting. Well, uh, this is uh, to a new RFM's Health Naturally. Uh, Sandra has rung in from yes. Brightwater. Hello, Sandra, and you've got a question about throat problems. Yes, please, I have. Um, I have a lot of um, congestion in my throat of the night time, mainly um, when I lay down. And I've been to the specialist with, with it, and he said that I had um, a breathing problem. Okay. So what is, the, what is the therapy that's being offered to you? Uh, the machine that you put on at the night time, sleep apnea, um, However, I've tried a, a product called Ricadine, which I find... Ricadine, yes. Yes. Okay. But I would, like, I would like to try something that's a little bit more natural that okay. could get rid of it, really. Is this affecting your, breath- Is this affecting your breathing? Um, Just sleep. No, only my sleep. I find that I can't get to sleep because I'm swallowing all the time. I'm, okay. It, it, it seems to... I think the medication that you've mentioned that you would have got from the pharmacy, um, I think your pharmacist would say that you have to be a little bit reserved about using that medication long-term. Um, obviously, your pharmacist is better qualified than I am to um, talk about that medication, which is sometimes also used to address uh, coughing. Um, so, in my opinion, you, you should be looking for options outside of it. I'll give you a, a few hints that, that might be useful. 
Now, some of these might be a little bit left field, and I'm speaking more here from my years of experience in giving people advice who develop what we used to call uh, in my system of medicine, upper respiratory tract catarrh. Catarrh is another term for saying abundant mucus, which frequently post-nasally drips or runs down and causes this gurgling and inhibiting effect in breathing. The first thing I've always recommended to people with mucousy catarrhal conditions, wherever they might be, in the throat, uh, even in the lung, the upper respiratory tract, is look, look at, look at the amount of dairy product that you might be taking. Now, I know this is controversial, but from experience, the number of people that have blessed me by suggesting that they curtail or dramatically reduce their ingestion of, of, of dairy products is quite profound, and many of them um, have found that that has been adequate enough to lessen production of this catarrh, this mucousy condition, which is inhibiting their breathing and certainly at times causing a lot of coughing and gagging and, and gurgling. So do that as principle number uh, number one. It's not going to cost you anything. The second thing is that there are a couple of herbs that have a very good reputation for dealing with upper respiratory tract catarrh. I lectured on them a couple of weeks ago. Interestingly, uh, two of the herbs that I have mentioned today for another condition uh, are useful in in this, in my opinion, and that would be echinacea and golden seal. Now, they come as capsules, and they are famously used by people of our profession to address chronic wet conditions of the upper respiratory tract, which then complicate, if you like, things such as post-nasal secretion, even breathing conditions. So I'd suggest you do that. And thirdly, thirdly, from your health food store or pharmacy, get hold of what are called bioflavonoids. Now, bioflavonoids, and one of them in particular, called quercetin, I'll spell it for you, Q-U-E-R-C-E-T-I-N. Quercetin in particular is one of the bioflavonoids is renowned for its anti-inflammatory effect on the upper respiratory tract mucous membrane and is used popularly to help build up resistance to allergic challenge, which may cause some of the catarrhal or mucousy condition to develop. I suggest you give that a go. doesn't seem as though you're winning outside of taking what you're presently taking. And if you do this as a, as a lifestyle and as an oral supplement approach, you might find a breakthrough. To a new RFM's Health Naturally. And uh, Dennis Stewart, just before we go on with a couple of other calls here, mm. uh, just to comment that Bill has rung in and uh, he's from Maitland and he was pleased to hear about the rosacea. Mm. Mm. So Bill has had bad breakouts on his nose, but he's found that the sanitizer, the COVID, mm. the hand sanitizer is helping with the breakouts but not necessarily mm. the rosacea. <laughs> and look, I think that's understandable. What, what Bill is saying here is that the sanitizer uh, probably has a natural antiseptic substance in it, and when that is being applied topically uh, to the nose, it's addressing the uh, pustules that sometimes characterise rosacea and helping see them go because the sanitizer, my interpretation of it would be the sanitizer is functioning as a topical antiseptic or antibiotic helping to get rid of the lesion but it's not really getting rid of the underlying rosacea condition Mm. so this is where uh, the advice that I gave earlier 
about using the two herbs in conjunction with a topical application based on glycrotidic acid might be particularly uh, helpful for Bill in addressing the underlying rosacea condition. So he stumbled on something that's helping the acute breakout, the sanitizer. COVID's good for something. Yeah. <laughs> well, the sanitizer is, <laughs> yes, on the health naturally. Uh, Mark has rung in from Head and Greeter. Mark, you've got a question about tinnitus. Um, yes. Uh, I've had it now for oh, probably about 12 months. I had it on one side of my head to start with, yes. or like on one ear. Yes. And it's slowly progressed, so it's actually in both ears now. Oh, okay. So I've done a bit of a Google search, mm-hmm. and um, uh, they said there's a few things I could try, like uh, um, sound therapy. And then, mm-hmm. but one interesting thing was that um, one fellow said that uh, herbs can help. Okay, look, let me be frank with you here. Um, tinnitus is not an easy condition to treat medically or naturopathically that's my opinion yeah, um, so yeah, people have told me that yeah, now i've got yeah, it i just yeah, have to live with it no no, <laughs> no i think you can do a bit better than that look uh, yeah. sound therapy that is using if you like sound to uh, compete uh, with the annoying uh, tinnitus ringing in the ears is yeah. is, a, is a fairly well proven and useful device anything yeah. that can dampen down uh, the disturbance of the ringing or roaring if it is pleasant uh, music or sound therapy is worthwhile looking at. It has a reput- yeah. it has a reputation of benefit. However, your friend also is correct in saying that in some cases, and I emphasise some cases, uh, herbs have a reputation. Now, yeah. uh, and the good thing here is that the the herbs can be accessed uh, uh, via your pharmacy or health food store, uh, and they're not that expensive. And they're safe. They're safe. Otherwise, they would not be able to be facilitated uh, across the counter, so to speak. Now, you need to Google the the herb ginkgo biloba. Ginkgo biloba. G i n k g o ginkgo biloba. You need to Google that, and you will see um, that one of its indications, which is pretty well uh, documented, has been uh, for its role in the management of tinnitus. Now, what's called the European Commission, which, as I understand it, is basically equivalent, if you like, to a health department, they have given uh, ginkgo biloba, the standardised pharmaceutical extract of it, uh, they've given it a a tick as a medication worthwhile to utilise in the attempted management of this condition. So I would be suggesting, as a starting base, you try the ginkgo, the downside to it is that all the papers that I've read on it suggest that it has to uh, be taken for a lengthy period of time. That is, not just a month, not just a couple of months, but for a lengthy period of time, although here and there, here and there, I've spoken to people that have experienced a result fairly promptly. But out of all the herbs, out of all the herbs... That sounds very promising. (laughs) Out of of all the herbs, it is the one that I consider has the best documentation and clinical support. Having said right. that, having said that, it would be foolish to say, oh, ginkgo biloba is the cure for tinnitus. I'm not saying yeah. that. I'm saying yeah. that if you want to try something, don't get carried away by a lot of these claims that are made on the net. Most of them are being made by countries overseas, overseas where health departments permit some of the ridiculous claims 
uh, that, that occur on some of these websites, they would not be permitted in Australia. But with reference to ginkgo, in my opinion, it's credible. I'd give it a go if I was in your situation, but don't also knock what you mentioned earlier, the, the, the use of, of sound therapy. Excellent. Um, and in our last couple of minutes, um, we have Lynn joining us from Cameron Park, who's been trying for a little while to get through. Lynn, a question about eczema. Yes, thank you. Hello, Lynn. Good afternoon, Dennis and yes. listeners. Yes. Um, uh, for the last five or six years, I've had a problem with eczema around yes. my nose, yes. corners of my mouth and my eyes. Now, I do have lupus yes. and I do have pernicious anemia, which are mm. under control. Mm. I've been given tricortisone yes. and uh, uh, another um, ointment um, that is, is, you know, um, oh, I can't think of the name. I did think before. It's um, um, antiviral, any, whatever. But it all kills it. It all hopes it. It all looks good for about a week. Mm. And then it keeps coming back. Okay. You've obviously had this a very long period of time. Five years. Yeah. And you've, had, you've got lupus. Yep. Which is an autoimmune condition. Yes. Look, uh, anything that I would recommend here would be fairly simplistic. What I, what I would be saying is that what you need to do is perhaps look at some uh, alternative or perhaps useful uh, alternatives as topical preparations are concerned. Yes. And with reference to, to eczema, uh, I think that preparations based on what I referred to earlier as glycotinic acid and extract of licorice, yes. that has a very good reputation for what's called the subacute or chronic stage of eczema. It's not a cure. Uh-huh. It's not a cure but it's not a steroid, although uh, it works, if you like, along similar pathways to steroids. Uh, It's a white preparation. People sometimes think it is a cortisone preparation. No, it's the extract of licorice, and if you Google Google licorice and glycotinic acid, you'll find that there is adequate information there to support its role as an anti-inflammatory agent, as as a useful device. Perhaps. So now, uh, extract of licorice, I've got written down, and yeah. what was the other one well, that the, you mentioned? The, the, the extract of licorice is called glycotinic acid. And yeah. just, just put GA. Now, that is, licorice itself is not what we're talking about. We're talking about the extract of licorice, which is glycotinic acid, a useful topical application for eczema. And, uh, yes, well, you've had a lot of good um, suggestions for a lot of good good things. We gave the bees a run again. We did give the uh, bees a run, and um, it's always good to give the bees a run, isn't it? Well, I'm glad listeners are being stung, if you like. (laughs) Well, yeah, I was trying to think of something nicer. Yeah, (laughs) plenty going on, and uh, Dennis Stewart will be back next Friday after the midday news on 2NURFM for Health Naturally. Catch the program on podcast as well, to nurfm.com. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.